Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Memphis Hardwood. I'm your host, Anthony Syracuse, and I'm joined, as always, by the inimitable Marvin Stockwell. Marvin, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Glad to be here. I tell you what, Marv, this is a very, very special day for the podcast, don't you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love what we're doing here. Like, looking back to better appreciate, it's, it's, it's enhancing my uh, appreciation of the Grizzlies. Well, and sure. we, we're talking so much about Grizz next gen, right? So that implies mm-hmm. that there was a previous gen, right? The last gen, yeah. The last gen. And <laughs> we are really going to move headlong into that previous generation that is, I think, a sub-reference for the Grizzlies next generation. And honestly, I could not be more happy to have our guest today walk us through the grit and grind era of the Memphis Grizzlies, a time when so many people got into the franchise for the first time, including yours truly. because And me. And Marv, I mean, I know you grew up watching Tigers basketball like a lot of us did, but I mean, for the big team in town, right? I think 2011 was a pivotal year, man. And that is where we're going to start. And the person that we have on the podcast today does not really need an introduction. So I will just share his name and we'll ask him to tell him a little bit about himself. And that is John Roser. Roser, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you guys for having me, man. I really appreciate it. This was uh, when you sent me the list of... uh, which uh, eras I wanted to do, which kind of years playoff series I wanted to do. This one was, uh, this one was the, it, 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 this one meant a little bit more to me as it did to a lot of Grizzlies fans, but for different reasons for me, um, because these actually that, that Spurs series, it's the, I did not go as a media member. I bought, I, I, w- I was a media member, but I bought playoff tickets and I went as a fan. And uh, so that's what was really cool about it is these, this was the last playoffs that I got to experience. um, And I've not had one that I've gotten to experience like this since where I got to be a fan in the stands and I wasn't, you know, having to do media work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did not know that about your story. How cool is that? Because now obviously you play an official role with the franchise and on the Chris Vernon show. Um, and are really, I think, a luminary in Memphis media. I love listening to the show and appreciate you guys so much. And before we get into talking about the Grizzlies, um, John, tell us, how did you get into this hustle? <laughs> Pardon the pun, right? Of doing right. This work on the radio. Um, so I was taking some time off of school um, out of college. And I just was like, eh, you know, I don't I was just doing part time and then I was working part time, too. But uh I was going through like kind of a difficult time with some things, you know, I'm just young. I'm in my late teens, early twenties. I'm yeah, man. what the hell I want to do in life, you know? Sure. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a, uh, you know, I was you know, mental health things, I guess. And, uh, yeah. And I talked to, uh, I talked to a therapist and, uh, he told me, he encouraged me when I told him there was an internship at this radio station that was available. They're still taking interns. He encouraged me to, go for it. He's like, you just, you know, go for it. Maybe, maybe nothing happens, but like, Hey, you don't, maybe everything works out and you get your foot in the door and the rest is history, you know, Wow. after that. Yep. So I, I give him full credit and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, as I've said this, I, I shared my story on another podcast not too long ago. And, you know, so I say, don't be afraid if you're dealing with uh, your own struggles, don't be afraid to talk to somebody. Uh, you know, it's, it's always good. We, we, even, even people like me, where you appear, everything's good and gravy in life. You know, we all struggle with things. We all go through things. Yeah. Um, so if you got to talk to somebody, talk to somebody, because if I hadn't talked to somebody, I, you know, wouldn't be where I am today, probably. So, wow, man, that is a powerful story. <laughs> when we brought you on here, I didn't know that part of your story, but I'm so glad that you, you talk about that because everybody goes through struggles, man. I mean, just like you were talking about yeah. and got to reach out, let folks know, and who knows, it may set the whole trajectory for your life. <laughs> well, it's, it's just like you, you didn't, yeah. sometimes you just take for granted how easy it is to be a kid. You know, like, like I'm, I'm just I'm grade school, then high school, and it's, everything's all fun and games. Your only responsibility is, like, school and then just, like, whatever else. Like, your parents are – your parents feed you, you know, like, <laughs> all that stuff's taken care of. You don't have to worry about paying rent. Your parents are paying for mortgage or rent or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you get to a point where you're, like, in college and you have to then start looking – at the end of the tunnel, I'm like, oh crap, man, I've got to. <laughs> yep. 
I've got to start yeah. doing that eventually. And you just, you can yeah. sometimes be a little overwhelming. Uh, like, what am I going to choose to do? And it can take people different times, you know, amount of times in their life to get there. You know, not everybody figures everything out at the same time, but I, you know, I just say, don't be afraid to talk to anybody or be afraid to open up to anybody about it. You know, Man. everybody yep. knows stuff, you know, there's no judgment here. Absolutely. And mentors, right? Like those people who yes. help guide us on our path, man. I'm like, gosh, and that'll be a just subject for another time. But you know, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with y'all if I hadn't had mentors and folks support. Yeah, everybody, so. you all all need them. We all need them. We man. all need them. Thank you, John. Thanks for sharing that, man. And listen, uh, it's it's amazing. I love the craft of what y'all do. And um, obviously, you've been engaged with the team. But let's go back to this time when you're a fan, right? And let's let's get in the Wayback Machine here. Let's think about the Grizzlies before they became the Grit and Grind Grizzlies. In fact, the Grizzlies before a certain Zach Randolph came to Memphis. Um, I mean, obviously, coming off of, you know, the Mike Fratello years and, you know, all the various iterations of the franchise that Chris Harrington walked us through. And uh, Lionel Hollins takes over in 2009, 2010. And that was the first season that Zebo was in Memphis. But take us back, John, to that moment when uh, Zebo was acquired. What, what was, what came to your mind? What was the general feeling around the team with yeah. that acquisition? Because obviously he wasn't the beloved person that he is today. Well, no, I mean, I look, I, I, I specifically remember Chris Farnan and I were fans of it. We were fans of it. And Zebo had this reputation of, yeah, he had had some run-ins in Portland and um, he had kind of been, no, the, people kind of considered him a black hole, you know, whether it's in New York or with the Clippers, which is where we, you know, we traded for him uh, from the Clippers um, because they ended up with the number one pick where they took Blake Griffin that year. And you know, I didn't view it that way. And we've got the old tapes, Chris and I do somewhere. We have all this stuff you know, like on, on CDs, if people even, you know, listen to CDs anymore, wow. um, but, but we have them. And I think uh, this was our reasoning behind it. Cause a lot of people bashed it, bashed the Zach Randolph thing. Like, Oh my God, he's going to, he's, you know, Zebo's a black, Zach Randolph's a black hole. He's going to screw this up. He's going to screw that up. And our whole point was, what the hell is he going to screw up? We're winning 22 games a season. There's nothing to screw up. Like, we're not good. Like, what are you saying? Zach Randolph's going to come in here and we're still going to not be good? Like, okay. Like, we're going to do it anyway. So, it's yeah. not like Zach Randolph was coming into a 50-win team and was going to make us a 30-win team or something. Like, we were, we won, like, 22 games, like, the previous three seasons. So, it's, yeah, that's kind of how – and we looked at it like, you know, and, and I also viewed it as, you know, this is before the days of where you really start looking into, like, your advanced numbers and yeah. things like that and lineup combinations. And I looked at it like, okay, like, he can play, you know. He's – 20 and 10 like this is when he was he was 20 and 10 every night yeah. like okay so we're adding a guy who can get 20 and 10 every night like he's not my worry worry is everything else around him but like <laughs> this guy i know he can play like he can at least play the game so yeah. you know and I, did i ever think it would become what it became no like you'd have to be kidding you you know you, you'd, you'd be lying to yourself if you said that but right let's not act like, you know, cause there are a lot of things written and said at the time that this was just a horrible mistake by the Grizzlies. But again, my take was like, it mean, it's not like he was going to screw anything up. Like you, the team already was not good. Yeah. Right. I mean, they won 24 games the season yeah. before the exactly. season before. And also, I mean, to your thing about all the th other stuff going on, Mark Ivaroni starts the season. Johnny Davis is there for two games and Lionel Hollins comes in for the tail end of the season. I mean, and you talk about who's on the team. That 0-9-10 season, you had Mike Conley and Marcus Gasol. That was Marcus Gasol's rookie year when they won the you know 24 games. OJ Mayo's rookie year as well. D. Arthur, you know Darrell there. He's he that's his rookie year yeah. too. Um, but you don't really know. Like I mean, at that point, none of none of those guys are commodities. None of those guys are franchise cornerstones. You know, none of those yeah. guys you're talking about building. Well, if, if they if they thought Marcus Gasol, if they knew what they had in Marcus Gasol, they never drafted Sheep to be. Well, right. <laughs> they they yeah. never make that pick. They never make that pick if they thought what, if they knew what they had in Marcus Hall. Let, let's talk about that just for one second, because I mean, it seemed like um, uh, Grizzlies general manager uh, Chris, what's his last name? Wallace. Wallace. It seemed like he really knew. I mean, at least at the time, right? He was kind of bullish on Marcus Hall. 
He yeah. knew Marc Gasol was a good player, but again, he the, the, the I, I still can say he did. They did not know that Marc Gasol was going to be a future what three time All Star, uh, yeah. first team All NBA center, yeah, um, NBA champion, NBA champion. Like he did not know he was going to be that. He did not know that because you do not draft Hashim to beat if you knew that. You would yeah, not yeah. draft him if you thought that. <laughs> we haven't really spent much time on the, the beat thing. Uh, right, there's really not a lot of reasons. <laughs> it's been oh, yeah. so well covered, right? <laughs> We're Everybody trying to talk knows. about the good thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> We're right. not going to dwell on that right there. So first season, um, Zach Randolph is here. Okay. And this is a season I think it's important to remember. This is the season before Tony Allen arrives. Okay. Yeah. So the 2009, 2010 season, Grizzlies go from 24 wins to 40 wins. Yeah. W- when you look at that, right? Like, I mean, is there a sense like now Zebo's here? Was it Zebo was the tipping point? What changes in that season, uh, John, where you're starting to think, are the Grizzlies going to be good? Well, I mean, one, you, Mark, Mark took another lead. I mean, Zach was Zach. Zach it was what Zach had been up until yeah. that point. It had just been, you know, outside of his second year in the league when he wins most improved player, like it just been tough being in a right spot for him, you know, where it all fit and worked together. Yeah. There were other things in Portland that were, that were, you know, that were not great that to, for a great situation for him to be in, but it all kind of came together in Memphis. I also think, you know, he had a lot of family here. Zach had family in Memphis and I think yeah. that helped too. Um, he had relatives here. And I think part of it, the second year, Marcus Gasol took another step. You know, yeah. that second year, Gasol took a second step. Mike Conley got a little bit better. Um, yeah. Jamal Tinsley was on that team, too, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Jamal Tinsley was a backup point guard on that team, a guy who had been a proven veteran player. That's right. Yeah. Um, you had O.J. Mayo. You had Rudy Gay. So, who are young and talented wings. So, I think what it was was the, the, they had talent. Like, they actually had a little bit of talent. Um, yeah. And there's no mistake in that they played for Coach Hollins. Like, I was not a fan of the Holland Tire when it happened. Um, I was like, what is this? Oh, really? I was like, well, this guy's never – like, nobody's ever hired him. He's interviewed for a million head coaching jobs, and nobody's ever hired him. Like, this is – and he's been a lifelong assistant, you know. But there's no doubt it worked. But I do believe that, you know, look, Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph, you know, Mark took another step, and they might have made the playoffs that year if it wasn't. Uh, for Mark Gasol, Mark Gasol got hurt the last two weeks of that season, of that regular yeah. season that they won, went 40 and 42. They yeah. were contending for an eighth for, for one of the last playoff spots in the Western Conference. And Mark Gasol got hurt for the last two weeks of the season. He had a, a neck strain oh. and he didn't play. And that's when it kind of just, you know, ended up kind of falling apart there at the end of the year. So, yeah, make no mistake. I mean, it was Mark Gasol and Zach Randolph, Zach being Zach and Mark Gasol taking another step. And Mike Conley was a year better. You know, he got a little bit better each year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, and then you get to the point where you, you know, you move into 2010, 2011, where, uh, you know, it didn't start out great, but we all know how it ended. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. I mean, the Grizzlies, I think in that nine ten season, I'd, I'd forgotten about the Mark uh, Gasol injury because I think they were only two or three games um, out of the playoffs that year. Um, yeah. Four at the most. I mean, it was it was pretty close. Um, and, and, so, you're, and, you're, and you're talking the last couple of weeks of the season. You're talking, you know, seven games, eight games, you know, like you can you can do that. They could do that. And it's, you know. Wow. They, they did not have room. They did not have a lot of room for error that year because they didn't have depth. They did not have depth. It was really like they like Conley, Jamal Tinsley, uh, OJ Mayo, Rudy Gay, Zach Randolph, Mark. Gasol. I mean, you really had six guys that yeah. you could really trust. Like you didn't have the seventh and eighth, ninth guys that you felt really comfortable bringing off the bench. Yeah. Um, it really was just six that you really felt. If, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to think yeah, back. No, you got it. I got the roster pulled up here. So those I mean, guys probably played the most minutes. Those six guys I would bet played the most. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, you know, when you look at, they had Sam, Sam Young, that was his rookie year. So you've yeah, got, right. you know, an unproven guy, right. Who ends up starting in the playoffs yeah. the next year, which is wild. Yeah. Damari Carroll, uh, that was his rookie year too. I think he shot yep. um, conservatively on a mid-range jumpers. I think Damari Carroll was about uh, two for 574 that season. You could never make a mid-range jumper. Amazing. Well, to your point, Rudy Gay had 40 minutes a game, OJ Mayo 38, Zach Randolph 38, Marcus All 36, Conley 32. 
Um, Allen Iverson played in three games. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was the Iverson year. Yeah, 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 when they had to send him home after the first three games. How many did Tinsley play? Tinsley, uh, he averaged 15.5 minutes per yeah, game, and that, he played 30, lines, yeah, 38 games. Yeah, that lines up with Conley's minutes there. Yeah. Who else played a lot on that team? Did, did anybody else play more than that? DA played 14 minutes a game. Durrell, um, yeah, Durrell was on that team. But Durrell, Marcus, again, it's a rookie Mark, year. That's rookie year for Durrell, right? Yeah, uh, that's, I think, year two. Year two, um, year two for Durrell, okay. Yep, yep, his, yeah, and then um, – Durrell, uh, Durrell did not take a jump until his third season, really. No doubt about it. I mean, when we get into 2010, 2011, I mean, he yeah. was he was there for the playoffs. Yes. Um, all right. So, you know, the Grizzlies come close in 09-10. And, I mean, got to remember, this is a franchise that hasn't won a single playoff game. I mean, yeah. it's a, it is a I know. drought. <laughs> it was a I rough, know. it was a rough. And then something uh, happens in the summer between nine and 10. And they acquire this guy from the Boston Celtics, Tony Allen. So what was the feeling around the team at that time, John? This is before he's the grind father, all this kind of stuff. What, what was yeah, the I mean, look, we we viewed it as um, this is a guy that's got championship pedigree. This is a guy who has played in big-time playoff games, played in the NBA. Like, you don't get bigger than guarding Kobe Bryant in the NBA Finals, you know, for two, two He did it back-to-back seasons. Like, you know, now he split time with other guys, whether Paul Pierce or, you know, James Posey and some other wings on that team. But he got to guard Kobe Bryant at – you know, during the biggest stakes that you could possibly guard somebody. Um, and Kobe said that he was the toughest defender he ever faced, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I viewed it as cool. You brought in another player that can actually play like he can play, you know, that's, that's kind of how I viewed it. And he didn't play for the first like two months of the season. He didn't play and he was not happy. Um and they had drafted Xavier Henry. They had spent a lottery pick on Xavier Henry. And it was the whole, you know, we spent a lottery pick on this guy. We're going to play this guy. Yeah. And then Xavier Henry gets injured. And basically, it's like Tony has to play now. Yeah. Yeah. That's when and, the, t- and the team started to take off from there. Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> when you look back at that, that 2010, sort of 2011 uh, season, it doesn't really start that great. <laughs> um, and I mean, as you mentioned, Tony Allen is, you know, he's not, he's not playing, but then in February of 2011, the Grizzlies go to Oklahoma city and they play the thunder and yeah. Tony Allen gets some run and he scores, you know, he scores, uh, you know, in the high twenties or something, he, he has a sort of, you know, an incredible game for him point wise. And then he gives this interview afterwards. The, you know, it's it, it, just this random comment with Rob Fisher, right? It's all yeah. heart, grit, grind. I mean, what was that when, when that happened, uh, Rosa, like, did that feel like it was this, this iconic moment, like when it happened or were you just, it was just like um, soak in. I mean, I didn't at that time, but Chris had different ideas because he already was like, boom, there's the t-shirt. I got to make it. Um, he had the, I, I mean, it, 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 oh, it was it, that simple for him. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I believe so. it was like that simple for him. Um, but he had to, you know, obviously to figure out what to do with it. Um, he had the design and then that, that's something y'all have to talk to him about. Um, sure. I, because my mind is on this. Do you still have that 09 10 team pulled up? Uh, yeah. Ronnie Brewer. We yep. traded for Ronnie Brewer that year. Yep. Yes, we were trying to make the playoff push. We were trying yeah. to make the playoffs and get in the playoffs. And we traded for Ronnie Brewer in his first game as a Grizzly in FedEx Forum. He freaking blew out his hamstring. Like, oh my god! Popped. Like he just ripped. Like it wasn't like a hamstring pull. Like that thing popped. Oh. And it. They did that to try to get some depth on the team. Yeah. Uh, to get some more wing depth and get a guy like Ronnie Brewer as a versatile defender and player. Yeah. Um. And yeah, so they were trying to make the playoffs that year. They were. And then obviously, you know, the Gasol injury happened. But no. Um, wow. 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 When Tony, uh, that's the, I remember that one because I, I was at wow, the game. Yeah, I forgot. I, that. I was sitting like fifth row when Ronnie Brewer did that. And I was like, did oh, you hear it? Got to be. No, I couldn't hear it. But okay. I was like, you have got to be freaking kidding me. Like, this is, oh, the worst. Um, so, anyways, uh, yeah, Tony does that interview with Rob Fisher and. What was amazing is the Grizzlies didn't have what Rudy Gay that night, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus Saul, I don't think know if he played. 
Yeah. He might have been out. Well, uh, and it was an overtime game as well. It was an overtime game. And Tony, yeah. Tony was the best player on the court. And he was on yeah. the court with Zach Randolph and Kevin Durant and James Harden and Russell Westbrook. And Tony yeah. was the best player on the court that night. Well, and it was a preview of things to come. I mean, we didn't know that at that time. Um, yeah. And I mean, like the Grizzlies started eight and 14 in the 2010, yeah. 2011 season. So, I mean, it was not going great. And they, that, that's a fourth of your schedule right there. Yeah. yeah. And they didn't get to 500 until late January. So yeah. then they go on this five game winning streak, get to 27 and 24, take a couple L's, then go to OKC on a Tuesday night and beat the Thunder in overtime. And I mean, I think that there was just a sense, right? That like, oh, maybe this is going to turn into something, you know, maybe this is going to turn into something special. Um, so after they get through that game in OKC, we've got this, you know, all heart grit grind, like key moment in the franchise, the Grizzlies go 16 and eight. So they, they close the season really, really strong after February and end up 46 and 36 on the season, by far yeah. the best record yeah. that the Grizzlies have ever had in franchise history. So now they're going to take on a 61 win team in the number one seeded Spurs, anchored by the big fundamental, Tim Duncan, yeah. uh, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker. There's a second-year Danny Green on that team, Tiago Splitter, freaking Richard Jefferson. We'll talk Thank about that. Thank God him. Kawhi Leonard was not on that team yet. I had to look that up. I was like, was Kawhi on there yet? But no, no he so. was not there yet, no. And, and by the he way – like He was like a year or two later. By the way, Garrett Temple was on that team. I had yeah. no idea. I think he was only in his second year. So – all right, so the Grizzlies make the playoffs, right? This is not the first time they've made the playoffs in Memphis, um, but they make it as an eight seed, right? Um, what What is the feeling going into this playoff series, John? Be competitive, like win, win a game or two. Like, you know, try to at least win a game or two because if you can take it to six games, you can at least say, hey, we were competitive with the, you know, with what had been, you know, a juggernaut for the last, you know, at that point, you know, 13, 14 seasons yeah. um, since Tim Duncan had been there. So you just want to make it competitive, you know, look, it, you, it only happened what two other times in history where the eight seed beat the one or three other times. I think it was golden state beat Dallas. The Knicks beat the heat in the lockout season and the nuggets beat the Sonics. I believe were like the only other times the one seed, at least in my lifetime, the one seed had knocked or the eight seed had knocked off the one seed. So you just wanted to be competitive. Um, but clearly I remember reading John Hollinger at that point, you know, and he was sitting there, he was tooting the Grizzlies horn towards the end of the season saying, this is not your regular eight seed. The Grizzlies, I think were actually in the sixth seed and they lost the last couple of games on purpose to get San Antonio. They oh. wanted San Antonio because they were like three and one against them in the regular season. They wanted San Antonio. They thought they matched up very well against them. That's who they wanted to get. They were oh, trying wow. to avoid the Lakers. They did not want to play the Lakers in the first round. Gotcha. Um, because the Lakers, I believe were coming off back-to-back -back championships. Yeah. Um, or or did the Lakers win their second straight that year? The Lakers were coming off a championship, and I think then they won again that year. Um, I believe so. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, no, no, no. Dallas, this is the year Dallas beat Miami. The, yeah. so the Lakers had won the previous two titles. The Lakers yeah. had won the previous two titles. Because this is the first year of LeBron in Miami, which Dallas right. ended up beating them because Dallas beat OKC in the West Finals. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm back on track now. Yeah. 20, yeah. <laughs> 20, 2011, Dallas wins the championship. Twenty The 2010, it's the Lakers, and they won back-to-back. -back. Yeah, you nailed it. Kobe Bryant kind of doing his thing out there. Yes. Okay. Okay, so, um, so yeah, yeah. Going, in, going into game one, and I mean, and then, but then you have, you know, also we we have to bring up because of the big, it's it's the massive shot. I mean, they traded for Shane Battier at the deadline. They got off at the Beats contract, and they uh, they got off the beat, and they freaking traded for Shane Battier to bring in somebody that this guy, this guy, Hollins had him here when Hollins was an assistant um, with the Grizzlies, you know, several years before. Uh, obviously Holland's new baddie from those teams loves him. Uh, so, and Shane's one of those dudes who's going to do everything he's asked to do. Uh, and yep. he's a great guy to have in on the wing. If you bring in another wing defender, not only that, we're starting to get into the era of three point shooting. It's, yeah. it's slow, but it's getting there. Yeah. And Battier is a guy who can stretch the floor um, who you, at least you have to respect that three point shot. Now they had also earlier in the season, they had lost Rudy Gay. Uh, yes, he went down in an injury against Philadelphia. Yeah, 
the shoulder injury and you know they still ended up being better without him yeah um which was a point of consternation right i mean yeah. for for rudy and for and for some fans too i mean fans yeah. were getting kind of you know irritated that rudy wasn't there when it counted because he at that and time rudy, and rudy was and rudy was having a really good season too the rudy yeah. was rudy was having a very good season that year pretty good yeah. season um 20 points averaging 20 points yeah. you know yeah it was so, looking good so you, get, you get to the playoffs and then i mean that game is just feels like back and forth back and forth back and forth that whole game one um yes yes and there is always these moments for these teams you see when you're trying to get over that hump, yeah. What happens? I that shot did so much that Battier hit, and then Richard Jefferson, by the way, had like a wide open look on the other end, yeah, to be able to win the game, and he missed it. Yeah, he was I, wide open. But that it, it sounds corny because they we did, we did the whole believe Memphis thing, um, but I think that really did like give them the belief, like we can do this, and then I think. Oh, you lose game two, and then game three, Zach Randolph hits a crazy three from, I think, the right wing in the final minute of game three, and the Grizzlies won that, was it 102-96, game three? 91-88. 91, game three is 91-88? Yeah. Is there a 102-96 in there somewhere, or am I just making that uh, up? Oh, Grizz blow them out in game four, 104-86. I see that, that. That's that's my favorite playoff game ever. That's my <laughs> favorite Grizzlies. That and then the Clippers one where everybody got thrown out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that game four, that game four, the whole sequence of Darrell Arthur uh, blocking, I believe it was Tony Parker's shot, coming from behind to block it. OJ Mayo picks it up. Darrell runs the court. OJ throws the lob and Darrell hammers it down like over Tiago splitter or somebody. And it was timeout San Antonio Popovich comes on the court, boom, pops the timeout and boom, there it is. Starts playing throughout the entire (laughs) unit. Electric. It put the up like 17. And it was like, it also felt like another time in the series where it was the way they beat them down in that game was we're not losing this series. We're not losing this series. And we should have won the series in five. Well, right. I mean, we'll get to that because I mean, when they win game four, the Grizzlies go up three, one. And I mean, I think everyone in the universe was, was shocked by that. I mean, maybe not John Hollinger, but I mean, even Grizzlies fans, right. Who had the most optimistic sort of prognostications about the, the, the team. Right. I mean, I want to go back to that first game because that's the first victory in franchise history. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that was like such a significant moment. Amazing. I mean, it was amazing. And Shane Hattie, Shane Battier hits that three that puts the Grizz up 99-98. And then, as you pointed out, Richard Jefferson just misses this three-pointer to tie it up at the buzzer, which I so appreciated because I had forgotten. You know, Richard Jefferson was kind of hating on Memphis when he yeah. came through. They did that ESPN all-access day or whatever it was, John, and – like Richard Jefferson was like, I can't wait to leave. And Kendrick Perkins is like, I love it here, <laughs> which we bump into Perkins a little bit later on. But it was like, oh, yeah, Richard Jefferson, man, he doesn't have great. He doesn't have great memories of Memphis because he totally yeah. blew that game one. Um, well, so there that- was also another reason, too. There was a uh, when they came into town um, and during the playoffs, Richard Jefferson and Matt Bonner were spotted at a uh, an arcade fire, an arcade fire show at the Orpheum. And uh, they proceeded to get booed by everybody. Oh, <laughs> yeah! They got they now all they're trying to do is go join the go enjoy uh, the. Uh, it, it was is that Win Win Butler? Isn't that the guy from Arcade Fire? Oh yeah, yeah. Like they're just trying to enjoy an Arcade Fire concert at the Orpheum while they're on the road, and like everybody's just booing them in the crowd. Oh my uh, god! That's <laughs> almost, is, was it that year that Tony Parker tried to go to uh, Kelly English's restaurant? That was the West Finals. Oh, when they, okay. That, when when they beat the living hell out of us. That's right. Yeah, that's the four hour <laughs> sweep. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it was pretty amazing. The the Grizzlies get that first win. Um. You know, San Antonio takes it back in that second game. Um. Memphis wins a narrow one in Game Three. Um. Tony Allen fouled out in that game as well. And, yeah. you know, Zach Randolph. You mentioned that he hit the three point shot with 42 seconds to go. There you Put- go. It was under a minute. I knew it was under a minute. He hit it. He hit yeah. That. And Grizz go up 91 86. You know, with five minutes to play. Ginobili made a couple free throws. Um. But still, didn't matter. Grizzlies pulled that out. 
And then the Jarrell Arthur game. I mean, DA goes for 14 points in 17 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like the best player on the floor in that game. Yeah. Um, and then game five uh, goes to overtime. Yeah, we lose in overtime. Yeah, and the Grizz go down early in this one. They're down 10 um, in the first quarter. Um, they're down eight at the half, but they come out of the locker room super motivated, close the gap, 61, 62, three minutes left in the third. They finally get their first lead with 229 left on a Sam Young three-point shot. And Sam Young is starting in place of Rudy Gay because, as yeah. you mentioned, Rudy Gay was hurt. Um, and so they take this lead going into the fourth quarter, and Manu Ginobili does Manu Ginobili things and just goes bananas in the fourth quarter. And then we narrow – we could have won this game except that Gary Neal hits a three-point yeah. shot. Do you remember yeah. that, John? Yes, I remember the Gary Neal shot. I remember the Gary Neal shot. But I didn't – and that – but that's the thing. Like, we, even – the. The fact that, like, if we were ever going to get blown out in a game in that series, you would figure a team like us, it would be like, okay, we're just going to go to San Antonio. We're going to take our L. We're going to come finish this in game six. But they played to win that game in game five in San Antonio. And I think the Spurs were even shocked at how tough that was for them to get that to get that win in overtime. And it all set up game six. Um, yeah. yeah. Friday back in, night, back in Memphis. Friday night, Beale Street Music Festival. I believe it was one of the first days in May. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, you have the date on it. I believe it was. I yeah, believe, no, that's I'll right. Pull it up. I was yeah. at that game. Friday of Music Fest. MGMT, who obviously their lead singer is from Memphis. I think mm -hmm. he was White Station. Um, obviously, Dad is Bruce Van Weingart. You know, from the Memphis yeah. Flyers. So, um, Andrew, his son, elite, you know, the singer mm -hmm. of MGMT, is wearing the All Heart Great Grind shirt on stage when MGMT performed. Oh, cool. Tonight. Yeah, he wore the shirt on TV that Chris got a shirt to Bruce, and Bruce was like, yeah, I'll get it to him. I'll get it to my son. So, uh, yeah, he wore that. Oh, that's that cool. Night. Yeah, um, on stage at, at Beale Street Music Festival. So, I mean, downtown is a madhouse, you know. Yeah. Friday night, I think the game was – I think the game was an 8 o'clock game. Mm -hmm. I think it was an 8 o'clock game, 8.30, something like that. Because we got off the air at 6 o'clock, and we would go outside and sell shirts. It was, it was 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Central? So late. Yeah, 9 p.m. 9 p.m. Central. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, so it's a super late game. You've got Beale Street Music Festival. You've got Grizzlies trying to close it. So downtown is a total madhouse. Like, it's just – I mean, it's – if you want to – downtown got crowded that day starting around, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. It started, yeah. like, people were taking off work early, like, screw this. We're going to go get ready. Um, and you get to the game, and I'll never forget, I, my buddy recorded it. Uh, my buddy Mark McCluskey recorded it on his TV and we went back and watched it afterwards. And Mike Breen is on the call with Jeff Van Gundy and mm -hmm. I believe Mark Jackson too. Yeah. And Mike Breen says, this might be the loudest crowd we have heard all season long to open the game. Like yes. it's going insane in there. Um, because you know, if the game starts at nine o'clock, folks are going to be hanging out on Beale street beforehand. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Were, yeah. And the crowd was drunk. <laughs> that was me. the implication. Yeah. Including me. Um, yeah, so yeah, the crowd was uh, the, the crowd had had a good time, and uh, you know, they have these pictures somewhere you can see, you know, the people started bringing the big heads, yeah, of the, the cutouts of the place. It was me and my friends that started doing that. Oh, started doing it, and then it all just kind of filtered around the arena, yeah. Wow. And in fact, OJ Mayo's mom bought the OJ Mayo big head from us for $400. What? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. We made a nice little profit off that. That paid for drinks later that night. <laughs> yeah, um, I bet it did. It was after game six. It was after game She came up and said, how much do you want for that? And we were like, my buddy, one of my buddy goes, $400. She goes, okay. And hands us $400. Like, four $100 bills just hands them to us. We're like, all right, let's go. OJ wow. Mayo's mom's paying for drinks tonight after this yes. so, Nice. Um, But basically... There ain't anything to talk about from that game except for the fourth quarter. Yeah. And it's yeah. really like the last like eight well, minutes. Okay. There, let's, let's get there. We'll build a little suspense here because the Grizzlies came out and they jumped out to a big lead 12 to two in the first quarter. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like they can almost sense, right? Like they go up 20 to six. They're yeah. like, we're going to get our first playoff series win. Um, but of course, like the Spurs aren't going to go gently into the good night. Right. I believe Mike Conley got in foul trouble. I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah. I believe I Conley did. went out. Conley got two. They called two fouls on Conley, and that's when we we had that lead, and then it just changed. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. 
yeah, so the Spurs are battling back. Tony Parker's doing his thing. Um, and it's only, they're only down three at halftime, 46, 43. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because as I was doing research for the show today, I, I saw that the halftime show was the monkey riding a dog at oh, halftime. You gotta love that. You gotta <laughs> I love was that. like, yeah, I mean, that's probably like one of the best ones, right? So There's nothing wrong. Yeah. I mean, that, that dog would entertain anybody. <laughs> no doubt. Um, so it gets pretty tight in the third. Tony Parker is just doing his thing. I mean, he's a champion, right? He wants to win. Um, Ginobili hits a three pointer going into the fourth quarter. The Grizzlies are clinging to a four point lead. And then what happens, John? Um, Zach Randolph happens and yeah. he had been completely unstoppable in the entire series. Uh, look, he's the, he is the Tim Duncan went over to Germany and got the blood spinning in his knees and everything because Zach Randolph made Tim Duncan look old. It did. They put Tim Duncan on. They put Antonio McDice on him. They put Tiago. It did not matter who they put on him. He was unstoppable. Was it 16 or 17 in the fourth quarter? Yep, 17. And he was hitting them from everywhere. Everywhere. Yep. We're talking runners in the lane. You're talking step back jumpers. He hit a three, I think, too. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely everything. And, um, he put the team on his back. You know, that's your best player bringing you home. Um, and he did the interview with Doris Burke after the game. I'm a blue-collar player, blue-collar town. It's a yes. fit. You know, nothing's yeah. been given to me. Nothing's been given to the town. It's just a fit. So, um, and I remember walking out of the arena. Well, trying to walk out of the arena. It's more like schoolish shoulders with people. Like, yeah, yeah. Sort of walking out of the arena and just everybody in the FedEx Forum concourse out there in the lobby just chanting Zebo's name over and over again. You get outside. There's it was a- really electric. It, it, oh, it, it had was- like almost a, t- I'd never experienced something that electric since a really great Tigers game, Hardaway era as a student, you know, and to experience that on the pro level, I was at that game. I got the chance to go last minute because uh, a, a friend of mine's uh, mom was sick. And so he's like, I got a last minute ticket. So I got the last minute nod to go to that Grizzlies Game six against the Spurs, incredible. And walking out of FedEx Forum, it was like, it was the most electric, just group of hum- human beings. It was like, <laughs> I can't explain it. No, there are people outside at the front of FedEx Forum. Uh, there's like a band outside playing. They're doing like the Cuban Shuffle or whatever was popular at that time. And no, and I, I always, you know, because it, it, it's something a lot of Memphians didn't really get to totally understand uh, because we hadn't won a playoff game yet. Um, and it just kind of felt those first couple of seasons like, uh, but Chris Wallace, you know, the former Grizzlies GM, one thing he used to always say to us, he's like, there's nothing like pro sports in the postseason. He goes, and he understood that Memphis had been, you know, Tigers town college or whatever. I mean, he knew, he knew that, but he, he, his whole point was the biggest games you play in college basketball are played on neutral courts. Like when you get, we know 2008, the Tigers played in Little Rock, then they played in what, Houston, and then they are, and then they played in San Antonio, you know? So it's, he's like, when you get into the playoffs and when you do actually win some games, he goes, you get those games in your home city in front of your home fans. And it's the same with the NFL. You know, if you're lucky enough, you get one C or what you get home field advantage and you get those games in front of your home fans. And it is a totally uh, different atmosphere having playoff postseason games at your home court. The best we ever got from it was like, you know, every now and then we get the Conference USA tournament here, or the American mm-hmm. Athletic Conference tournament we have here, and then we get our ass kicked by UConn by like 18 points. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so Sadly. pissed off at that. I, I, Josh Pastor drove me nuts for that. There's so many people that took off work that whole weekend, and we went out there the first game and got killed by UConn. <laughs> we went up to the national championship that year. That was a turning uh, point, man, after yeah. winning that game six. I mean, Grizzlies obviously win the series four to two. I mean – What's the feeling, right? Obviously, the next day, I mean, that evening, you're having a huge time, right? Whatever. Yeah. What's the no, feeling the next day? What's the outlook, John? It's fun, but it's also like, we got to play game one in Oklahoma City on Sunday. Yeah. Like, it's it's not like we've got all weekend to marinate on this. Like, we have a noon game. They played at noon on Sunday. So, you've got a late game Friday night, 9 o'clock game. So, that game's not in until 11, th- till close to midnight. you got a shower. You got to do all your media stuff as players. So you're not getting that at an arena until 1231 in the morning. 
And then you're going to go, then they're probably going to eat too. They're probably going to eat. So they're probably not even getting home until three in the morning. And then you got to wake up. You got to be at the facility for training for for uh, treatment. You got to get your medical treatment. You've got to have a walk through whatever, and you got to get on a plane. You got to head to OKC. You're flying to OKC Saturday afternoon because you've got a noon game on Sunday. And so it was a very fast turnaround, very fast turnaround. And they go to Oklahoma City and they win game one. Yeah, where yeah Durant is waiting and Russ Westbrook and James Harden and Serge Ibaka. Um, and they just, they go in and the Grizzlies, I mean, honestly, Zebo picks up right where he left off 34 yeah. points, 10 rebounds, just absolutely dominant Grizzlies win every quarter, except the fourth quarter where they tied, uh, the thunder and they, they beat them by double digits, 114, 101. Yeah, no, it was, they, they, they thoroughly did. They came in there and, uh, they beat them. They beat them that game. There's no, there's no doubt about it. And you know, Oklahoma city that year, um, they made the trade. They traded Jeff Green to Boston to get Kendrick Perkins because we had their number. They did not have anybody. They had Collison who could be a physical player down low, but they had nobody else who could be physical with our two big guys. They needed to get somebody else that could be big and be physical um, against our big guys. They made no mistake. They made that Perkins trade um, because of the Grizzlies. And was it, was it this year or a following year where Zebo told Perk, I'll beat your ass? That was a following year. Okay, that was right. Year. We'll save that for the next pod. But yeah, they bring in uh, Kendrick Perkins. They've, they've also got Serge Ibaka down low yeah. as well, who can play. And he, he battled with injuries a little bit uh, in that series. But, I mean, OKC, it's kind of played out like the first Spurs series. Grizzlies take game one. OKC takes game two. Um, and it's funny because, you know, in that first game, you were talking about the three-point shot, uh, John. There were a total well, – well, how many three-point shots do you think were taken total in that first Thunder Grizz playoff game? Oh, I have no idea. 20? Eight. Eight total between both teams? Between both teams. Wow. Eight. Well, we probably took one. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was just – but it's to your point. The, the Grizzlies are just pounding the ball ruthlessly yeah. down low, um, going with the twin towers, right, of Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph. Um, and it works well in the first game. And in the second game, the Thunder, the Thunder gets their number. I mean, KD had 26, Russ had 24, Harden had 21. It's going to be hard to beat a team with those three guys yeah. go for numbers like that, right? Yeah, um, no, it, no, it, yeah. Difficult. Game three, they come back to Memphis. And game three was a Saturday. Game three was a Saturday afternoon, I think. Yeah, I think let's it was pull like it four up. Four o'clock game. Uh, yeah, five o'clock. Yeah, five o'clock. Saturday. Yeah, okay. Afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Yep. Saturday, May seventh. Um, Grizz went down early. Um, Hamed Hadadi, you know, came in and did his thing. He canned a couple three free throws, which was great. Um, the Grizzlies they have the lead after the first, but they really they lose the rope going into the second. They're eight uh, down, eight going into the half, and uh, Zebo's talking smack with James Harden. Obviously, he didn't like something that that went down. Um, had some choice words heading into a timeout. And honestly, in the third quarter, the Grizzlies were really languishing. They were down 14 points. And it was just a steady diet of Durant, Westbrook, Perk, Nick Collison, Serge Ibaka. So going into the fourth quarter, the Grizzlies are down 13 points. And then they they absolutely turned off the water. They They allow a total of 10 points in the fourth quarter. And Tony Allen was the one, I thought this was so funny, who tied the game at 84 with a free throw. <laughs> Tony Allen <laughs> free throw um, super tight going down the stretch, and it goes into overtime. And the Grizzlies just played absolutely dominant defense, hold the Thunder to seven points in overtime, yeah. and go up two to one. Yeah. And, and I mean, so here's I, the- I see this is game, game three is not like that memorable to me. Game four is the one. Because game four is the one where I feel like we we could have won the NBA championship that year and we lost game four and that's what did it for us. Oh, my God. Okay, so first of all, downtown is flooded. I don't know if folks remember that, but that was when the Mississippi River came up to the foot of Beale Street. Um, So it was kind of this crazy kind of like apocalyptic thing um, that was going down in Memphis. Um, It's a 930 game, so it's super late again. Um, and the Grizzlies, they go up early. I mean, they're up 14, four. Yeah, they've we got, did. We, we, we got up like, did we get up like 16, 17 in that game? In the first yeah. Half? Yeah. 
Yeah, it was twenty-eight to sixteen after the first quarter. I mean, yeah, so we the got, we got up. Dying. I remember that we got up big, and then it just. But we could not score forever. Yeah, we could well, not score. Well, I mean, Oklahoma City came out of uh, the locker room like super focused. And through the end of the third, it was just nip and tuck, right? Just, I mean, that's the thing about these battles, these Grizzlies battles. They were like heavyweight fights because it would be like battling so hard to get two points. (laughs) And then somebody, the the, the other team would come down and battle so hard to get two points. Um, And then basically, like you said, Rosa, the Grizzlies just totally lose uh, control of the game in the fourth quarter. They go down uh, 10 with five minutes left. But they battle back, and this is like so memorable. With 3.5 seconds left, Mike Conley hits a three and sends the mm-hmm. game to overtime. But it wouldn't be the the last overtime. <laughs> this you was a triple overtime game. Do you remember that? I didn't get, it. We didn't get out of the arena until oh, after man. 1 a.m. It was, oh, man, I was dragging the next day. I was so tired the next day. Yeah. I mean, Marcus Gasol, uh, that game played 58 minutes. Yeah. 58 minutes. Zebo 55 minutes. KD played 56 minutes. I mean, when do you ever see a game where a player plays it's, that many minutes? It's wild, man. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. Previous Vasquez hit another um big buzzer beater to send it to uh over to send it to another overtime. Exactly. Yeah, yep. I remember when that one, and then it gets to the end, what cost it to him. It's the play. I mean, Lionel Hollins had it on his iPad because he does, he believes what I believe that they would have gone to the NBA finals if this hadn't happened. He told Grievous Vasquez in that huddle, in that last huddle, do not leave Harden in the corner. Whatever they do, they are going to drive the ball from the other side of the court, and Harden is going to be in that corner. Do not leave him in that corner. And Gravis Vasquez left him, and they swung it, popped it around the baseline. I think it was Westbrook, swung it out there. He drove, Westbrook drove, jumped up, kicked it out there. Harden buries the three, and it was lights out there. And you know, we lose game five in Oklahoma City. We win game six. I remember yeah. that's everybody holding up the Believe Memphis towels. But yeah. Yeah. then you got to go play a game seven in OKC on a Sunday afternoon. And it, it I mean, it, it, some people didn't feel this way. I felt like we lost the series when we lost game four. That, yeah. That's what to me it was. I was like, if we could have gone up 3-1, we could have. We could have done it. And we matched up so well against Dallas in the regular season. Yeah. We played them so tough. And I know specifically from, cause I've heard it from people that work with the Mavericks. They didn't, they were so happy to play Oklahoma city. They did oh, not I want bet. to play us. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, it's just so hard because that, that game four really was the tipping point. And it, it really did come down to, like you say, one play, right. Leaving Harden open in the corner. Um, and, and let's be clear, there were some amazing Grizzlies heroics. I mean, the Mike Conley three, the Grievous Vasquez three. I mean, it was a super entertaining game, but man, it's just hard to, it's just hard to think you can come back from that. I mean, two days later, um, the Grizzlies, they, they lose 99, 72, they, the Grizzlies scored 72 points. Yeah, they were <laughs> and, dead. They were exhausted. They were exhausted. Oklahoma city had all the momentum in the world from that game. Um, you know, I don't remember anything about game five. I don't remember anything about it. Game six in Memphis was also on a Saturday afternoon, I believe. Yeah. Another four or five o'clock game. And I remember it got late. I think Zebo's at the free throw line and everybody just holds up their towels to where they say believe Memphis on them. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then you had to go. And then you won. So you ended up winning it and you had to go play Oklahoma City game seven on the road. Yeah. Uh, in the afternoon. And, you know. Yeah. Is what it is. That, 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 that game, that game for Monday night was the one that's, that's the one. Yeah. And it was not the only triple overtime playoff game against the thunder, which we'll get to again later, but um, just an incredible series. I mean, when you think about that, that season, uh, John, the, the, you know, the 2011 playoff run, like, what did it mean? What did it mean for the Grizzlies? What did it mean? It was everything. It, it, they, they arrived. They arrived. It, it was, they took hold of the city that year. They did. That, that playoff run, they took hold of the city, and people started paying attention. You saw the next year and the coming years, their attendance numbers were either above or right on par with the Tigers, because at that point, the Tigers, up to that point, the Tigers had been the ones averaging, you know, fifteen to 16,000 people a game, and the Grizzlies were averaging like 13, 12, 13,000 a game. And now all of a sudden, the Grizzlies start getting 15, 16, 17,000 people. 
um, in the crowd too. Um, no, people started paying attention. People really wanted to call sports talk shows. Uh, TV stations wanted to come in and do interviews with us or wanted to get video of us taking calls from uh, sports talk you know, fans or what sports fans that are calling into the shows. Um, it became a thing. You just start getting asked about the Grizzlies more when you're around town. Um, you know, that's just people became more and more aware. It was, you know, it's why Grizzlies and Chris Wallace always came on our show and, you know, Vernon gave him hell all the time. He would yeah. give him so much crap and they were good and they were very good friends, but he would give him crap. And, you know, Chris Wallace was asked sometimes like, man, why do you still go on his show? And he's like, he's like, we have won the last three years, like 22 games, 22 games, 24 games. He's still at least talking about us, you know? So it's like it's somebody talking about us, you know, like, it, and so he knew that that, you know, that mattered. And uh, mm -hmm. that 2011 playoff run, everybody was talking about it. And it was different. And there's never been anything else like it. Even this past year, it's, it, it hadn't been the same. It's tough to explain to people who have just only come on during the jaw years. Uh, but for someone like me who became a fan, as soon as they moved to Memphis from Vancouver, uh, going through all the playoff losses, you know, back then I was like a high school kid. I could only afford you know tickets in the very high upper deck uh you know so i'd go to one playoff game i went to one of the spurs games i went to one of the suns games i went to one of the mavericks games and it's like going into them you know you're gonna lose but uh you just wanted to be there for a playoff game but 2011 changed that it, it really did you started like it's cliche as hell but you just you started believing like oh my god like this team's yeah. actually good enough to win playoff games and win playoff series like they can beat the number one seeded san antonio spurs who the first playoff series we ever had as a franchise swept us um like okay like these guys are good these guys are worth paying attention to yeah Marv, you're gonna jump in yeah i was just gonna say that that was the year that got my attention i'll never forget i was in my driveway shooting hoops and I happened to glance at my phone and realized that the Grizzlies had stolen quote stolen game one uh, against the Spurs. And it was like the entire entirety of Memphis seemed to just turn and go, Holy cow, we've got a professional basketball team. Now I'd been to a couple of Grizzlies games before that on like free tickets that, yeah, yeah. That, and, and so uh, that somebody didn't want or whatever. And I, I, but it was more of like a novelty, like, well, I'm, I'm kind of, I like basketball because I'm a Tigers fan. And I'm like, well, okay, let's let's kick the tires of this thing, you know. Uh, but it wasn't until we we stole game one against the the Spurs where you thought, oh, something's possible. And it's like, you know, a matter of days later, I'm in the nosebleeds 50-yard line all the way at the top for game six against the Spurs. And, and it's interesting, John, you're more uh, of a seasoned guy, so you're like, oh, believe Memphis is kind of cheesy lots of cities do that like I'm sure you had that reference point but like I didn't for me yeah, I was yeah. like oh my gosh believe Memphis yes that's what I want to do I bought it hook line and sinker and enjoyed every ounce of it and then even something as ubiquitous as finish them right like when I saw that come on the damn jumbotron in game six and everyone was feeling like yes that is exactly what we're gonna do I mean, my hair, my hair is standing on end of my arm just thinking about that time. And that's what, I mean, it's like, it's crazy. It's like, it's like, like overnight, everyone's like, Grizzlies mania just gripped the city. No, on it, through it, to the you're, you're, you're right about the, the, the big thing, that game won win because we still up to this point never have had home court. We, we had not, not had home, we didn't get home court advantage for our first playoff series until a couple of years later when we played Portland. And we beat them in five games. But so, you know, we had the very first playoff series. We're down 0-2 to start. So even you're coming back home for game three, like you got to win both of them to get the series tied. Same way with the next year against Phoenix. And you go against that juggernaut of the Phoenix Suns. That was the Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, Joe Johnson, like Quentin Richards. That team was so freaking awesome. You're down 0-2. Same thing the third year against the Dallas Mavericks. You start out on the road, and you there was hope that year they could have won a playoff game, and Damon Stoudemire blew out his knee in the regular season, and that's when it all kind of fell apart as far as the hope went. But you're down 0-2 right away. Right off the bat, you get that game one win in San Antonio. 
it changes everything for game three. Cause yeah. you know, no matter what you're coming into that game three at home, we've already got a win under our belt and we got a chance to win this and take another lead in the series. We're either going to be tied one to one trying to go up two one, or we're going to be up two Oh, trying to go up three Oh in this yeah. first home game in 2011. It was really that first win right against the Spurs that was so monumental. Cause, cause the Grizzlies fought for the first time get home court advantage now. Yes. Now you have home. Yeah, you take game one. You've got home. You've got the home court the rest of the series. You do, and it's just a it's a bigger thing. With the other playoff series, they had come back home down 0-2. and now yeah. even at worst, you know we're coming back home, and it's at least going to be tied one to one. Yeah, it's a huge. We've shown we can win. We can win. We've shown we can win, and I think that meant a ton for ticket sales. Uh, I think the game probably would have been sold out anyway, but as far as building the hype form and making more people want to go, um, because I think you really started seeing, uh, especially the rest of that Spurs series and then the Thunder series, the tickets on the secondary market got really expensive uh, because the demand was so high. People believed in the team and and really knew that this team could win on a high level. Yeah. Yeah. It really, in some ways, comes back to that Shane Battier shot. Yep. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most iconic moments in Grizzlies franchise history. And that's what really allowed us to walk out of San Antonio with that first playoff series victory. All right, John, we're gonna let you get out of here. But one more thing before you go, Um, you mentioned, you know, it's a little bit different for folks who come into the jaw era, like you feel like this particular this this playoff run in 2011 that we've been talking about was just so special and so unique. Unpack that a little bit before we jump out of here. Well, I mean, it's, it's just look, I mean, you, when you're the eight seed and you knock off the one seed, it, it doesn't happen a ton. So when it does, it obviously it means a little bit more. Um, whereas this is a different kind of thing because we're going to be good for a long time. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. they barring anything catastrophic, like it is clear John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jared Jackson Jr., and to me, at least, Zaire Williams. These four, I think, I think this, and I know that it is my opinion that that is the new core four. The only reason I say that, I love Dylan too, but Dylan's in the final year of his contract, so I don't know. I'm talking about as far as like the super, super young guys yes. on the team. Um, and I would, I would throw Brandon in there too, but like Brandon's just like Dylan. Brand, Brandon doesn't have a contract extension yet. Uh, Dylan doesn't have a new contract yet. So that's why I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with any of that, but um, I do job ja, Bain, Jaron, Zaire. Um, if you don't want to mention Zaire, I think Zaire is going to take, I, 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 I'm bullish on Zaire. I think Zaire is freaking awesome. I agree um, with you. And he's 20 years old. He'll be 21 when the season starts, but so the, crazy. The kid's going to be so good. God, he's going to be so good. Yeah. Um, this may take him a couple years, but he's going to get there. Um, but it is a little bit different because they got so good so young. You know, it's crazy yeah. to see a yeah. team that is this young be this successful. Well, and, and they can stay together, to, probably. Yeah, to your and point. they can stay together. And it's it's it, it's wild to see. You typically it's typically veteran teams that win in this league that that have a have a ton of success in this league that have the most success. And um, it's crazy to think that this this team's going to be around for a while. They're going to be around for a long time. And they're, they're, they they got, they've got something special going on over there. They really do. They really do. Everything I've heard about all the guys over there, they, the the big thing, they all like each other. And I think that was a big thing with Mark, Mike, Tony, and Zach. They all liked each other. 100%. Absolutely. Not a lot of chemistry is important. Yep. Man, we, we talk about it every time on the pod. You know, anytime we talk about shifting people around, bringing folks in, that's my first uh, thing to think about is chemistry. Because they sometimes, cre- sometimes you can have a bunch of talent, and it, the talent just wins out. Like that, that can like it's clear we know like Oklahoma City. No, they never won a championship, but it's pretty clear Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook did not have the best of relationships. But you, you know, you're talking like at the time that they are both playing together, you're talking about two of the five best, you know, five to seven best players in the entire league on the same team. Yeah. Your talent can, you know, your talent can really win out um, in that point, at, yeah. at, at that point. And, and it, we've seen it in other, you know, circumstances like Kobe and Shaq. They, 
they were obviously had it up and down, you know, rocky relationship, but they were able to win three titles in a row together because when you got two of the five best players in the world on your team, you know, it's that helps. <laughs> sometimes the talent does do enough, you know, sometimes oh, the talent is so great that, yeah. you know. Do you think uh, I like uh, wading into a little territory? We have to have to back during the regular season, man. This has been so fun. But last question in terms of the regular season kind of coming up, man. Like, do you think that the talent level for the Grizzlies will rise this year just through internal improvements? Yes. Yes. Looking at the way. It is is the one thing that never gets brought up when people talk. They talk about these guys like they're 32 years old. They're all in their early 20s. Like, they are still getting better. These guys have not hit their primes yet. Like, the primes are like 26 to 31. They haven't even hit that yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their, best scary. Players, their best players are 23 and younger. Yeah. Like, setting, aside, setting aside Ja, who do you think is going to grow into their talent in the most profound way? Who's going to make the biggest leap just in the okay. course of so it needs – there's got to be – Jaron or Bain has to become a second All-Star. I think Zaire is going to be an All-Star eventually, um, but I don't think that's going to be this year. I do think Zaire is one of those who's going to make a couple down the line. Uh, but Jaron or Bain, because you typically look at the best teams in the league, you typically get two All-Stars from them, whether it's the Celtics who just made the finals who have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum or the Warriors who have Draymond Green and Steph Curry, like, you know, who will make All-Star team. Wiggins was on the All-Star team. Wiggins sure. on an All-Star team. Yeah, like you, ha- you typically have coming out of your – your conference winners you typically have uh multiple all-stars on those teams um i'm interested to see if bain takes another leap this year it's going to be this is what bain did last year is he became a guy that other teams have to game plan for like he goes to the top of that marker board like he's up there with john now we got a game plan for this guy yeah i'm interested to see if zaire can take that step where I'm not saying Zaire averages 18 a game as a second year player, but does he average 14 a game, 13 a game where you say, where other teams say, okay, we do have to pay attention to this guy. We have to pay attention to him. Bain is going to be that guy this year. So I'm interested to see how he handles that. Everything I've heard, know about the guy. I mean, he's a gym rat. You can't keep him out of the gym. Like it's one of those things. He annoys the hell out of people because he will call up uh some of these gyms where he shoots at he will call the people at two in the morning and say i want to go get shots up and he'll have to make people get out of bed to go get shots up <laughs> <laughs> i love that, but, about he, that oh no he never stops working he never stops working oh That's it's amazing they, uh, man he's a hard worker i, I don't hold me to that that it's like two in the morning but i do know he, the guy oh, yeah to the gym at crazy hours uh to get shots up um man. well i i gotta say i think jaron's yeah. three-point shot Jaron's three-point shot is going to be huge. If yeah. you know that year two, when then the bubble happened and he ended up tearing his meniscus in the bubble, yeah. um, in that game against the Pelicans, if he can get that, that three-point shot back to before that bubble happened and he was shooting like thirty-eight percent from three on like seven attempts a game, yeah. if he can get back to that 36, 37, 38 percent, that's going to do crazy things for the Grizzlies' offense because yeah. it's another guy that spaces the floor. Well, I will say too, I felt like he was pretty unstoppable in the Golden State series inside. I don't think that they went to him enough because he was fair. absolutely dominating the That's interior. Yeah. Um, because Draymond can't guard Jaron Jackson Jr. at the rim. No. But no. but but I think the challenge for Jaron is, and I mean, this is well documented last year, he's really still finding his balance in in I know. He you know still doesn't I mean? have total control of his body yet. Exactly. He's still growing into his body. No, it's yeah. crazy. Because it's, he hasn't stopped growing. He's still getting, it's like, he's still been getting taller, which is insane. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so yeah, I think he's a player. I 100% agree with you about Bain, but Jaron Jackson Jr.'s defense last year. I mean, it's well-documented, right? Oh, no, Most Jaren, blocks Jaren, Jaren, yeah. Jaron's first, first team, all defense. Jaron's going to win. I, I believe Jerry will win multiple defensive player of the year awards. Yes. Um, it's about the offensive growth for him, because if he puts the offensive package together, you're not talking about an all-star you're talking about a first team all NBA level player. If he can put offense with it, if he puts offense with it, where he's averaging 20 a game to go with all the defensive stuff he brings and he shoots the ball well from three, yet you're talking about a big, big time player. Oh man, that gives me chills. <laughs> That's where I got chills. And we're going to leave it right there. Y'all yeah. we'll look forward to a future of Jaron Jackson going for 20 points a game, five blocks a game. Hell, if he can get up to seven rebounds a game, we'd be happy. So. Yeah, I don't know about five blocks a game. That's, 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 that's a lot of blocks, man. I get 
like Mark Eaton and Hakeem Olajuwon didn't block five a game. Let's see. Let's no. let's let's manifest it though. And he <laughs> he had multiple uh, five block games, but yeah, no, it just he's a beast. And um, we'll leave it there, man. John Roser uh, from the Chris Vernon Show, my brother. It has been a wonderful time with you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, every weekday, Monday through Friday, noon, GrindCityMedia.com, uh, YouTube.com/slash/GrindCityMedia. Chris Vernon Show live at noon. YouTube. Check us out. Holla, holla. Don't miss it, y'all. You can watch the fellas in the studio, um, and it is uh, a really good time breaking down everything sports, especially your beloved Memphis Grizzlies. John Rosen, we're going to get out of here, man. Thanks so much. Many thanks. Thanks, guys. All right, Marv, take care, buddy. We'll see you next time. All right, many thanks. Go Grizzlies. Go Grizzlies, and thanks to everybody for tuning in to Memphis Hardwood. We are going to get into the uh, 2011-2012 playoff series against the L.A. Clippers, so stay tuned. Thanks again for tuning in. That was the time we.